of those mamas that have gone on before us. But on this Mother's Day, I want to show you a mama's faith. A mama's faith in the Word of God in 1 Samuel chapter 1. You're going to see an amazing woman with amazing faith. And what she did, it's going to blow your mind if you don't already know the story, to see her faith in, in action and to see the demonstration of her faith in such an almighty God that she said, I know the best place for this long-awaited child is in the hands of God. So I'm going to dedicate him to the Lord. So if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. The words will also be up on the screen. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. Would you stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word from 1 Samuel chapter 1? Beginning at verse 1. This is what it says in God's Word. There was a man from Ramathim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Joraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And aren't you thankful I went to seminary to learn how to pronounce this? He had two wives. Just joking. They don't teach you anything practical. He had two wives. The first name Hannah and the second Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Houston, we have a problem. First of all, we have a man with two wives. Uh, and some would say, well, polygamy is in the Bible, so therefore the Bible endorses it. Well, guess what else is in the Bible? Lucifer, Satan, the adversary, the devil. And God does not endorse the devil, Satan, adversary, Lucifer. And so to say that because polygamy is in the Bible, or because slavery is in the Bible, or because other things are in the Bible, therefore it is okay. No, it is not okay. God's original design was one man and one woman. Hello, somebody in Washington, D.C. One man and one woman. And they were to be married in the marriage bonds before God. Now, what man and what people have done with God's design, we pervert it. That's what that word literally means. To pervert means to twist. We twist what God says. We twist the boundaries. We cross them over and over again. But God's original design was one man, one woman in the bonds of matrimony. Yet here we have... A man who has two wives, and one of them has children, and one of them is childless. Can you see a problem? Verse 3, this man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Peniah, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Whenever she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her, taunted her in this way every year. Hannah wept and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah asked. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle, deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me. And give your servant a son 
I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. Hannah was praying silently, and, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, today, no one here on this special day of Mother's Day is here to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And so hide me behind that old rugged cross that these that have come would hear directly from you, from your word, from your Holy Spirit, that God, you would bless hearts, that you would save relationships, that you would change people's eternal destination today, that today would be the day of someone's salvation, that people would be reconciled, that today would be a day of joy, that people would say it has been good to be in the house of the Lord. Have your way in this service, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to continue reading from verse 19. Verse 19. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to bow in worship before the Lord. And afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time. After some time. Those are three scary words in the scripture. After some time. Because we live in an instant gratification world where we got to have it our way, right away. We're not waiting on it. We need it now. And yet throughout scripture we see this reminder, after some time. After some time. We also see this reminder in scripture, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Over and over again, we're reminded that God's ways are not our ways and that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes you will pray and you'll want to see an answer right then. You'll want to see an instant answer, instant messaging. But we are spoiled. We are a spoiled generation. And we have to have instant gratification. How many of you know that our faith really comes through and the genuineness of our faith and the strength of our faith can only come about through the time of testing and trial? Amen. It's only through that test. It's only through that trial where you actually find out the depth of your faith. Let me keep reading. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. Samuel, God has heard. Samuel, meaning has heard. El always means God. Samuel, God has heard. Because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all of his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I want you to think about this, after the child is weaned, in biblical days, the time of weaning happened around the age of three. The age of three. After this child is weaned, watch what Hannah says she's going to do. This is crazy. 
the child that she's waited on, the child that she's been patient about all these years that she so desperately wanted, she says this. After the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. A mom's faith. She has to have a deep and abiding and resilient faith to know that this child she has so desperately wanted to hold, so desperately wanted, that God finally gave her that kind of faith that is demonstrated by knowing that when he was weaned, She's turning him over to the house of the Lord. She's going to get into God's service. She's going to dedicate this Lord and walk away, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't an overnight. This isn't a summer camp. This isn't a Boy Scout weekend where she won't see him for two days and you think it's the end of the world. This is a permanent decision. She takes her child to the temple. Look at what her husband says in response to that. Her husband, Elkanah, replied, do what you think is best and stay here. Until you've weaned him, may the Lord confirm your words. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, hello somebody, though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. <laughs> then they slaughtered the bull, the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as sure as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he bowed and worshiped to the Lord there. I want you to pay attention to a couple of things that we've read there in Scripture. <laughs> things that we can glean, things that we can learn. So first of all, you have, as I said, they've twisted the boundaries here. Marriage was supposed to be between one man and one woman, and yet this man has two wives. And one wife has children, and, and her name is Paniah, and then Hannah cannot have children. She couldn't conceive up to this point. And I know y'all would never believe this. I, I know that you've never met women like this, but Paniah was catty. Uh, Paniah was, she, she was jealous. And I, and I know you don't think women can, can get that way. Uh, but, uh, but listen, uh, she held it over Hannah's head that she was the one that could have babies. She was the one that had provided her husband multiple babies, and you are barren. And she held that over her head day after day, and it wore down Hannah. It really got to her. It frustrated her. I want you to see how her husband, Elkanah, responded. Did you catch what it said in the earlier verses that we read that he gave her a double portion? And that he even said to her, don't you understand that you're better than ten sons? We'll tell you something, husbands. You have to be there in a support role for your wife. And when she goes through times, even when you go... <laughs> even when you don't understand, even when you can't put, you can't really put, a, put a, an answer to it. Let me just say this: if you say what's wrong, she says nothing. Something's wrong. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Okay, don't, don't pick that. Uh, but the husband, look at how he handled this. He gave her a double portion because he knew that her heart was heavy. He knew that she was emotional, and he knew that Panay was picking on her, and he knew that Panay was a bully. 
And so to help Hannah through that, the husband's role of support and encouragement, to help Hannah through that, he gave her a double portion and told her, baby, you're better than ten boys. Let me just tell you, in the Bible days, because I think sometimes we lose context because of our culture and because of our times. In Bible days, a woman that was barren was a huge burden. Because in that society, women were seen as supposed to produce the offspring, the heirs for the husband. And so a woman that is not doing that, a woman that cannot do that, carries a tremendous burden in the way society looked at her. Even though her value, listen to me, women, your value does not come from your beauty. Your value does not come from how many children you're able to have or not have. Your value does not come from anything but from God himself. And he says, you are mine and you are a princess and you have value because you come from him. You're a child of God. That's your value. I know society tells you. That you got to put on three three things to cover up and concealer and all that other stuff that y'all call it. But, but God says that's not where your beauty is. Your beauty is right here. And Elton and I knew his role was to support and encourage her and say, you're better than ten children. So he supports and encourages that. She goes to the temple. Now don't miss this, please. This is another thing I want you to glean from what we just read. She has a burden. She goes to the temple, and she takes her burden to the altar. And I don't know if you saw this, but it says from the depths, that's way down deep, from the depths of her anguish and pain and suffering, from the depths of her darkness, she cried out to God. Her lips moved, but no words come out. She was in such a spirit of prayer that a priest standing there says, I ain't never seen anybody like that. Now think about that for a minute. Hello, somebody. A priest had never seen someone so overwhelmed and overcome by the presence of God that he assumed she was drunk. That's pretty sad when a priest isn't familiar with what it looks like to be caught up. Come on. Hello. All right, you'll get that next week. Anyway, so he looks at her and says, when are you going to stop this drinking? And she says, I'm praying from the depths of my heart and from the anguish. When was the last time that you started praying and the tears started flowing? When I'm just not an emotional person. Oh, I've seen you watch LSU football games. <laughs> I've seen you when the Saints are on. I've seen you during the, the political debates. you got some emotion somewhere. You get all spun up and stirred up over a cute little puppy. <laughs> But where's your emotion when it comes to God? Mm. No. That's not my personality. Really? What's that at, in Baton Rouge? What's that at Boot Hill? Nope. What, what, what's that, what's that at, what is that at the karaoke place? Oh. Come on. Oh. <laughs> I'll shoot up on <laughs> Preach it. They laugh and laugh after. Okay. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> There's something special about going to the altar. Hannah said, I got a burden. Hannah said, I got a burden. I know where to take my burden. She laid down her burden at the altar. Now listen, you can pray right there from your, your seat. I used to, uh, we used to say pew. <laughs> you can pray right there from your seat. You can pray in the deer stand. You can pray in the boat. You can pray right there beside your bed. You can pray in your car. Just don't close your eyes. Amen. But there is something special about laying a burden down and saying, God, I'm giving it over to you. It's too heavy for me. 
I can't carry you anymore. I'm sick of it. From the depths of your anguish, when you start praying, the faucet will turn on. Yes, sir. And you'll leave your tears. Watch this. You'll leave your tears. Watch this. You'll leave your tears and your burden. Ooh. And you'll get up and walk away from it. Never pick it up again. Never claim it again. God doesn't want you to carry that burden. He doesn't want you to walk around with weight, that weight on you. Hannah knew, I can pray at home. Hannah knew, I can pray outside. But Hannah came to the church, came to the altar, laid her burden down, <coughs> prayed from the depths of her anguish to the point she caused the priest to think she was drinking. I said earlier that it tells you after some time. So after she prayed, after some time, in other words, not immediately, not instantly, but after some time, her request was granted. Please understand that the prayer you prayed last year, God may still be at work. That's right. He might still be moving these parts to this part, moving this over here, fitting this over here. And I understand that you say, well, I've been praying for that for a year. I've been praying for that five years. I've been praying for that ten years. All that time. After some time, just makes you more grateful and appreciative, and it increases your faith. It strengthens, and it, and it, it brings about endurance and perseverance. I understand that it's, it's sometimes frustrating. But I, I love that she named her son Samuel. Samuel. God has heard. After some time, God has heard. After some time, God has heard. Look at verse 24 real quick. Verse 24. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh. That's where the temple is. That's where the, 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 the altar was, actually. And as she took him there, it's a family affair. Church has become a drop-off. There's, there's children that come without their parents. There's parents that come without their children. There's husbands that come without their wives. There's wives that come without their husbands. Can I just tell you? <coughs> can I just tell you? That when I was at First Baptist Oil City, that church, they had their first service at that church in 1951. And they did a ribbon cutting on that day. And they took a picture right behind the pulpit. And the church was packed. And the church was full. And, uh, and they had a balcony. And people were in the balcony. And there was excitement. 1951. On that same day, someone took pictures outside the church of the parking lot. Now, this church, this church could seat about 150 people, okay? 150 people. Out in the parking lot, there were, and I'm not kidding you, I counted them one day. It's a black and white photo. I counted them one day, 30 cars. And so I asked one of the older deacons, I said, y'all had that many people in here, but only 30 cars. And he looked at me very seriously. And he said, well, brother, his name was Maston Robinson. He said, well, brother, back then, the husband drove. The wife sat next to him. About two kids sat in the front seat without seat belts, but they had mamas. Mama's right. <laughs> and then he said, the other kids that you had and the neighbor's kids were in the back seat. It was a family affair to load up the car and go to church. Amen. And there wasn't nothing else on Sundays because Sundays were sacred. 
And so he said the people that could walk, walk to church. Can you imagine that? <laughs> if we had a teaspoon of rain, it keeps Southern Baptists away. <laughs> Can you imagine if people had to walk to church? Mm -hmm. That preacher's good, but he ain't that good. <laughs> 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 Any amount of inconvenience in our way. Oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> he told me, though, that only took about 30 cars. The rest, most people walked, and then the people that lived far away drove, but they loaded up. They loaded up in their old cars, and it was a family affair. But nowadays, it's a drop-off. We have people that drop off their kids. We have kids that drop off their parents. It's crazy. <laughs> but church is for the family, and it should be for the whole family. Hannah knew to give this child to the Lord because listen to what I'm about to tell you she could have been the mother of the year she could have been the greatest mama I know this is going to step on some toes she, her, Hannah could have been a better mama than your mama but watch she knew the best place for her son to be was in God's hands that takes strong faith to let go of a child. Some of you have had to let go of a child and say, God, I've done my part. I've done what I can. Listen to me. A parent's role, a mama and a daddy, a parent's role after you, you feed that child and after you care for that child and take care of them when they're at that stage that they can't take care of themselves, one of the first things that the parent should have a responsibility to do is to introduce their child to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Grandmas, aunts, and others that are raising other people's babies, listen to me. After you feed them, after you give them a place to stay, after you give them a roof over their head, a bed, a pillow to sleep on, listen to me. You better tell them about Jesus. Amen. Because guess what? The world ain't going to tell them about Jesus. That's right. That's your role. That's your responsibility. It's not the Sunday school teachers. It's not the youth pastors. It's not the pastors. It's your job. You better tell them about Jesus. That is a responsibility of every parent. Hannah knew that to be a good mother, she had to give that baby that she had waited for so long. She knew that she had to give that baby over. Now watch this. Because as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Now what you don't know about Eli. Eli had two sons that were priests. They were supposed to take on the responsibility of being the priests. You heard about them PKs though, right? Hello, partner. Uh, you've, heard, you've, heard, you've heard about the PKs, you know, over the years they've got a terrible reputation. That's really sad, and that's a burden that children should not carry. <clears throat> Eli's sons were horrible. Horrible. They did things affiliated with church that should not be done. They made a mockery of the sacrifice and of the system of sacrifices, and they brought shame to the house of God. And guess what? God had a plan to figure that out. Those two boys would not be the priests, even though they were called to be, and by hereditary, by DNA, they were supposed to be. He had someone to fill that role that they could not fill. And his name was Samuel. A child born to a barren woman. Let me tell you something. When you don't do your job, God will push you out of the way and bring up somebody that can't even from a barren womb. 
Even from a hopeless situation, yeah. even from a dark place, God, and when you're not doing your job, God will push you out of the way and rise up somebody mm -hmm. to do it better than you ever thought. Yeah. This mother and her faith that she demonstrated, I am in awe, and I am, I am so, I, I, I'm so amazed at the faith of this woman. To pray for this child, and she so desperately wanted this child. She gets the child, and then she says, "No, he's not mine." I give him over to the Lord. Now the rest of the story also continues, because guess what? Because I know what some of you mamas are thinking. It's hard, you know, Angel and I are about to have an empty nest. It's already been a whole lot quieter without Hayden around. I can't imagine what it's going to be like without Foster. What's going to say? But I can tell you this. Every year when they went up for the sacrifice, if you were to continue reading in 1 Samuel, you'd find out that Hannah was a seamstress. And she made a robe. And every year, it was her privilege and honor to see her boy grow and mature. And she she she'd resize that robe and make him a new one. And he was growing and growing. And, you know, she was so proud of him because why? Because he's serving the Lord. And he's in the best hands ever, God's hands. And so even though she longed for him, and even though I know it was emotional when she would go there, every year she got to see her boy. She got to see her boy grow. She got to see him fulfill the role of a priest. She got to see him do what he was called to do. And, you know, deep down, that's what every mama wants. Every mama. Every mama wants their child. To do what God has called them to do. And every mama, even the most attached mama. Well, I remember one time somebody told my mama, you're going to have to cut that umbilical cord one of these days. And she said, well, it ain't today. <laughs> I was a mama's boy too, like Larry mentioned. And uh, our mamas were very protective. But even the most protective mama, even the, what do they call it, the helicopter parent that hovers over their child and let their child do things, even that mama deep down inside knows there's going to come a day, watch what I'm about to tell you, there's going to come a day where you won't be there. Every mama knows that the way life is made, your children are supposed to outlive the parents. And when that doesn't happen, it's a terrible situation. But in, in most cases, a, the parent knows, I'm going to go before my child, so i got to do my part because there's going to be a day where they're on their own. Even the most protective mama, Hannah knew, I'm giving this boy over to this because he's in much better hands with God than anything that she could ever do. So let me ask you this. On this day that we honor the women in our lives for their sacrifice, for their many selfless acts, Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice. Have you given your heart to the Lord? Have you given your children to the Lord? Have you given your job to the Lord? Have you given it all to Him? Because He's worth it. The best place for any of your burdens, the best place for your children, the best place for your job decisions, relationship decisions, the best place for any of that. Give it over to him. Let's pray.